What's going on? Welcome into the Thursday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Eikenoffer of Pelicans.com. We continue with our NBA draft preview. One week from today, the Pelicans will pick at number 10 and we'll see what the rest of the draft does for the New Orleans Pelicans and the rest of the NBA. And we're on pick number four as we've covered the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Houston Rockets, and of course the Detroit Pistons with the number overall pick. And now it's time to focus in on the Toronto Raptors and joining us today is Blake Murphy, who covers the uh, Toronto Raptors for the Athletic there in Toronto. Blake, I appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. I noticed the hat. I know no one can see it, the Space Jam hat. Have we seen the new Space Jam? Do we have thoughts on it? I have. Uh, I liked it. I mean, I don't have kids, so I'm uh, I'm not the target audience for it entirely, and, and I would argue the, the first one's a little better, but uh, it was fun, and some of my friends who have uh, young daughters, they really enjoyed it and watched it like three or four times back-to-back, so uh, must have must have hit the right chord with the target there. Absolutely. Excellent. Just wanted to get a review before I've not had a chance to watch it. So I need to have some expectations going in. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, when it comes to the Raptors, they're interesting. They're, they're two years removed from winning an NBA championship. And yet here they are now with the number four overall pick um, with plenty of talent on the roster. When it comes to Siakam, Lowry, uh, Van Vliet, uh, you name it, there, there's plenty of talent to go around. Where are the Raptors as far as, this may be being a transition period for them. This is maybe not a rebuilding, but maybe retooling. How would you describe where the Raptors are at right now? Yeah, a transition period is a good way to phrase it. And it's something that, you know, from the moment they acquired Kawhi Leonard in 2018, um, I've been trying to brace fans and readers that, hey, if, you know, this, this gamble is absolutely worthwhile, but if Leonard leaves, there's going to be a bit of a transition period. And we've seen that play out with, Kawhi, of course, leaving, um, you know, Danny Green walking in free agency, which made sense at that point uh, for both sides. And then the offseason following that, Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka leave. So you've kind of had this slow turning over of the roster where you're going from Van Vliet, Ananobi, and Siakam being a really, really good supporting core and kind of like the, you know, maybe four, five, six roles or something like that on the team to now those are the guys and those are the core uh, that you're building with moving forward. Siakam and Van Bleet being 27 or entering their age 27 seasons, you know, this isn't the case of a, a very young team uh, starting, you know, with a bunch of guys on their rookie contracts. You want to turn this thing around and, and get back to being competitive pretty quickly because those guys are entering kind of their, their peak phases of, of their development. So um, it's an interesting situation where, I think everyone can understand why with the lost season and being displaced, the Raptors kind of leaned into them not being the best last year. Uh, but I, I think that their intention would be for this to be their last high pick for quite a while. So with that being said, before I hand it to Jim, you know, obviously everyone's talking about the, the top four in this draft and with the Raptors there on the border, um, do you feel like that there's someone there for them, no matter what one, two, and three do that can, they can have a bit of an impact on them for the future? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, I, I don't know if the Raptors will subscribe to kind of the, I guess, not consensus, but, but the public feeling that this is a four-star draft. I don't know. The Raptors have gone off board in the past. Um, you know, obviously, Pascal Siakam was, was a pick at 27 that most people had in kind of the 50s or undrafted even. Um, they're not shy about that. I do think in a draft like this where they've landed in kind of the leverage point of the draft where a lot of teams might see this as a four-star draft, 
if it's not one of the top four guys that they're most enamored with, there should be lots of opportunity to trade down a little bit and pick up an extra asset or two in the process. Um, having said that, if their plan is just we'll take whoever is left at the number four pick, I don't really think you can go wrong there. Uh, these four guys are all very, very exciting. Um, I have my you know, best case scenario of, of who might slip, but I think whether it's Green, Suggs, or Mobley, you're adding a pretty meaningful piece to that Siakam, Van Vliet, and an OB4. Like, I think everyone knows that during the pandemic, there's been a lot of sacrifices that people have had to make, including in the sports world. But I think it's pretty safe to say the Raptors made more than anyone. As you mentioned, that they were displaced and they had to spend an entire season basically on the road when they were based in Florida. What What's the latest on their situation? Are, are, is there confidence that they're going to be back in Toronto by the beginning of next season? Yeah, so right now the, the Raptors are still operating out of Tampa uh, for this pre-draft process. It just, you know, the timeline and the potential of having to move your shop in the middle of this pre-draft process was just, you know, made way more sense to just stay in one spot. And we saw um, the Canadian senior national men's team operate out of that same facility as well. Um, it just, it, it's made more sense than, you know, our government here has been a little bit week to week with some of the border restrictions and stuff. Um, looking ahead to next year, th there's real room for optimism now. Uh, Toronto FC, the, the MLS team, is back home. The Toronto Blue Jays will return home with limited crowds on July 30th. Um, so, you know, we're kind of there. Like, I, I can't, I can't imagine what would come up where the Blue Jays and TFC are allowed to go back and forth across the border and have teams visit and the Raptors wouldn't. So, um, you know, maybe there's going to be some protocols around that and it's not going to be everyone's favorite situation for a couple months still, but I'd be at this point shocked if they're not back in Toronto for the opener. How did that affect you? I'm curious as, as far as how you covered the team last season. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was a little weird for sure. I, I went down to Tampa for two weeks at the very start to kind of get the lay of the land and write about, you know, how do you move an NBA franchise on like one month's notice? Um, and that was, that was kind of cool. But obviously like at that point, uh, the protocols were such that like, I couldn't even talk to people. Like I was in the arena, but on zoom. Um, so it's been, you know, everyone's kind of gotten used to covering remotely, but I haven't, haven't seen a basketball game in a while in person. Uh, so that's been one challenge. And then honestly, this is the time of year where I'm kind of feeling it even more because usually the Raptors would be doing these pre-draft workouts out of the OVO Athletic Center here in Toronto. Um, in past years, the year that they had the 9 and 27 pick, I basically lived there. I was there every day. And, you know, even if, you know, they're not telling you who you're picking, but you get to have conversations and you get to meet a couple of the prospects and kind of feel guys out. And um, so, I don't know, I, I'm missing that a little bit right now. And I feel like I'm, I'm more in the dark than I normally would be with the team having the number four pick, but um, it's fine. I mean, I still have a job and I'm still just watching basketball most of the time. So it's not, it's not crazy different. Sure. Yeah. I think we, we, we probably would echo that as well. We've never felt more um, on the outside, but obviously it's not anything that we can control. So um, to sit around and complain about it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like you said, we're in a really good situation. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about um, how, how much do you think that that factored into the struggles that they had? I know people expected them to be maybe a top four team in the East. They've been one of the best teams in the East for a bunch of years now. Um, how much do you think that factored in? And, and it was funny. I think you alluded to this a little bit when it got down to the end of the season and they were still in the play and hunt. 
you kind of got the vibes from them that it was like, well, if we make it cool, if we don't, we get to go back to, we get, we get to get to go home and get off the road, quote unquote. So, I mean, how much do you think that was a part of last season? Yeah, I, I think it was definitely a factor. You know, I think you look back at the recent history of the Raptors during this era and they've had a pretty pronounced home court advantage. And that's, you know, whether that's a great crowd at Swift Bank Arena or, you know, just kind of owning the city of Toronto. And then this year they go 16 and 20 in quote unquote home games. Now, again, some of those down the stretch, they were very happy to lose at that point. Um, but I think you lose a bit of the, the home court advantage. I, I do think, you know, I, I certainly don't think they would use it as an excuse and say, hey, you know, 100 to 99 score the final possession of the game in the fourth quarter, like then it doesn't really matter. But it's more this macro feeling of, you know, guys aren't at home or guys are having to make decisions of, do I bring my family to Florida or am I away from my family for a couple months? I think there was a real mental health toll um, that's kind of hard to quantify. And then, you know, we can't underestimate the fact that they lost most of their coaching staff and a third of their roster to a COVID outbreak on the team too. And we had players like Fred Van Bleed and Pascal Siakam talking pretty openly about not only did they miss five or six games, but it was like a month until they felt back to themselves once they did get back on the floor. And we, we heard, you know, Jason Tatum and Evan Fournier and a couple other guys talk about going through a similar experience. And that's, that's obviously not unique to the Raptors, but I do think like having three of your top four players be a part of that, um, that was certainly a factor too. And I, I think we can relate that to the, the, the pandemic situation as well. How realistic do you think it is for them to, if, if I'm not even sure if they, if this is going to be a goal, but how, how realistic do you think it is for them to be able to get back to close to where they were in this upcoming season. I know there's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, I, I'm pretty optimistic about it if that's the path they want to go down. Obviously, Kyle Lowry's free agency is a bit of a swing piece there. But, you know, there's a reason they started holding out Fred Van Bleed and OG Ananobi in these games down the stretch. And it's that it's hard to lose games with those guys and Pascal Siakam. And, and you know, even if you're if you're high on Gary Trent and Malachi Flynn, who are the youngest players on the roster from last year, um, along with Ananobi, you know, there's, they have uh, a pretty good foundation to be at least a playoff team in the East. Like if Van Bleed, Ananobi and Siakam are all reasonably healthy, you're making the playoffs in the East and you drop in the number four pick onto that. And suddenly there's a little bit of potential upside added to that as well. And obviously, you know, we don't want to pencil in a rookie to contribute to winning too much out of the gate, especially at the guard positions. We know that it, it takes a little while kind of to turn stats into winning, um, but they're in a good spot. And, you know, in a scenario where say, you know, they use a chunk of the mid-level to bring Ken Birch back and that solidifies the center position a little bit. Um, either Kyle Lowry comes back in a sort of a, you know, Hey, he starts, but he's also leading these new young guys um, or he's sign and traded and you bring something back. You know, I think you've got the makings of a, a pretty good top seven or top eight, right out of the gate. And that's before factoring in, you know, Hey, if Lowry leaves, do they clear the deck and clear out a bunch of cap space? Or, you know, if Lowry stays, do they aggressively pursue someone with the full mid-level? Um, they've got a few ways to, to kind of tweak around this roster beyond just the number four pick. Plenty of options there for the Raptors. We'll see what they do a week from today. That's Blake Murphy who covers the Raptors for the athletic and follow him on Twitter at Blake Murphy, ODC does great work. Uh, there for the athletic in Toronto. Blake, uh, I wish you nothing but the best. I appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the draft, and hopefully you can see your team uh, 
rather soon here come next season. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks so much, guys. Well, great stuff there from Blake Murphy, again, who covers the Raptors for The Athletic as we wrap things up tomorrow with Dante Marcatelli of the Orlando Magic. More on that in just a second. But, Jim, something that, you know, caught both of our ears when, when listening to Blake Murphy. And this is the same thing for other teams when you talk about maybe the Houston Rockets. Um, and, and a lot of teams around the league is the injury situation from last year and whether the condensed schedule has played a big part in that resting guys at the end of the year, no matter the situation. I know having the play-in game, I think, alleviated some of that resting at the end of the year in the quote-unquote tanking. Um, but I feel like the injuries were, were kind of a big storyline this year, not only just for the Toronto Raptors, but a, a good chunk of the league as well. Unfortunately, it was too big of a story. And I know there's really nothing that we can do. We can't necessarily control that, but it did become something that was kind of an overwhelming storyline of the postseason. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, several teams were kind of sidetracked and derailed by injuries during this, during the regular season. So it was definitely something that I think we're going to have to watch looking, looking forward to next season and beyond. I know that there are people out there and this is a legitimate argument that think that we should just scrap what happened the last two seasons because they were so odd in terms of obviously we had a pandemic interrupt the, the 1920 season. And then this season was strange because of the protocols and the testing every day. And I know that there were some sleep issues that a lot of players had to deal with that could have affected injuries. And then of course the 72 games that were compressed between uh, basically just before Christmas until mid May. So there were a lot of factors that made this past season different from others. And maybe that was a part of why the injuries have increased. But I think to Adam Silver's point, when he was speaking before the finals in the press conference that he does every year, I don't think it's accurate to say that just these last two seasons, the injuries have been increasing because I think if you look, go back five, six years compared now to 10 years ago, you're going to see a steady increase in the number of games that are missed. And I think one of the points that Adam Silver made that was great was do we really know if load management is working in terms of, is it preventing injuries? He, he was of the opinion that so far, based on what we've seen, if you look at the, the data and the facts and the, the results of what's happened is it hasn't really made a, made a difference. And in fact, I think we're seeing more injuries and during the playoffs was a great example where you had so many key guys from so many of the teams that advanced deep um, Kawhi Leonard had an injury. And again, I think a lot of these are isolated incidents and in and of themselves, you can't say like, well, because this one guy got hurt, that means that injuries are this or that, or this is a concern. But when you look at the whole picture and you see the number of guys that were out and how many teams were affected, I think it is very concerning. And like I said, it's something that is going to be one of the bigger stories in the 21-22 season that we have coming up is do, do the injuries go back down to a level of, you know, a few years ago at least or close to that? Or do we keep seeing this spike? Because I think if we keep seeing this spike, it's definitely going to be something that I don't know what the answer is to it, but teams are going to have to try to figure out what the best way to proceed is. And again, along the lines of what Adam Silver said, one, one of the lines that he that's really stuck out to me was he said that people are kind of accepting that it works in kind of a non-scientific way. They're kind of just saying like, okay, well, this we're doing this because X, Y, Z and all this evidence that we have. But when you actually put it into practice, it's not yielding results. And without those results, I, I don't know what, what, what purpose it's serving. It's definitely not helping the teams. And I, I know the teams are not pleased with the idea that, okay, we're going to have our star guy, for example, miss eight, 10 games a year on rest and load management, but he's also going to miss games because of injury. And all of a sudden you have an 82 game season 
where you're maybe your best guys going to play 60 games a year. I don't think anyone, no matter what team it is, or no matter what their perspective is going to be, is going to be too cool with, with that as a, a concept going forward. I think that stresses the importance now, I feel like with the injuries on the rise, at least in the last couple of years of, of roster management and depth, which comes back to the NBA draft too, as well, with especially some of these teams up the front, the guys that can be impact players right away, you know, the stash them and they're maybe not ready. Um, but when it comes to what you're talking about, it kind of goes back to the parody that we saw in the playoffs this year and kind of how maybe some of these teams got to where they were. And, and again, by no means am I saying, which some people have said, and I completely disagree is, oh, there should be an asterisk next to this this year. And no, it, it's, this is how things happen with injuries are dealing with Brooklyn had the injury with Kyrie Irving, but Milwaukee comes back from two down. You mentioned the Clippers Phoenix was able to get by them. Kawhi Leonard being out um, there, the, the Lakers getting the seventh seed based on injuries from the middle of the season. And then Anthony Davis going down in the playoffs as well. I mean, the injuries, I think that, do play a role in, in which teams survive, but I think that's just, just kind of the part of the part of the sport. I think it goes with every sport too. If, you, if you're healthy, there's a good shot that you're going to be um, competing for a playoff spot or a chance at a championship. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, the people who who say that a, a certain team doesn't deserve full credit for winning a championship because other teams had injuries. I mean, there's a huge hole in that theory, and that is if you go back over the last bunch of years or the last 20 years, that that happens constantly in the NBA. So, I mean, you could have a 10-year stretch where you say eight of the 10 teams that won a championship deserve an asterisk because whatever competition they were supposed to play didn't get there because the guy was injured or the teams that they did face when they went up against them didn't have some of their main guys. So, I mean, you could play that game forever. Right. So I'm totally with you on that. But um, in terms of it, – it's funny just coincidentally that today we're talking Raptors. They won the championship in 2019, obviously, and then the Bucks won it this year. Um, teams that weren't, as I mentioned, I think yesterday's show, teams that weren't prohibitive favorites, they weren't teams that went in where you went into the season and said, yeah, this team is definitely going to win it all. Or this team is, is even in the top, say two or three teams, as far as having a chance to win it all. So, I mean, it's been fun from a fan standpoint to see some unpredictable stuff happen and surprising outcomes. It makes the playoffs, I think a lot more interesting when it, is not chalk the way it was where we had four years in a row where it was the Cavs versus the Warriors in the finals and the Warriors made it five years in a row in that fifth year they lost to the Raptors. But I do think that injuries, you know, if we continue to see injuries at the level that we've seen at the last couple of years, and like I said, even going back five, six, seven, eight years, if it keeps going at this rate, I think it's going to contribute to more unpredictability in the postseason and even the regular season to some extent, because, you know, Injuries, I think a lot of it is in terms of who gets injured and who doesn't and which teams are have guys and don't, it comes down to luck. So once you when you factor in luck to such a higher degree than maybe it was 20, 30 years ago when you didn't have as many key guys who were missing games, um, it does make it so that it's harder to say who's going to win. And I think, I mean, if there is a, a silver lining to that, I think more teams will think that they have a chance. I mean, you have to have things go your way. You have to try to stay healthy the way that the Bucs did, relatively speaking, um, even though I know the Bucs and the Suns both had some guys that got banged up and some Dario Sharch had a season-ending injury, for example. So, um, but, it, but it will be interesting to see if, the, if this is a, something that we see going forward. Are we going to – did we just start an era where we're going to see a, a different champion, maybe not every year, but similar to where it's been a, four different teams over the last four years? Are we going to go back to where it was 
in the middle part of the last decade where we're seeing the same um, teams over and over again. I know that unfortunately the way that the rosters are, the, the top of the rosters are comprised. Sometimes it only takes one move to kind of tip the scales the way, for example, Golden State did when they got Durant, where it was like, man, it's going to be tough to beat these guys. So, but right, but right now, I think we're in a, in a period that I really enjoy where you have a lot more teams that are going to go into each season thinking that they have a champ championship uh, potential. And then, you know, and then you're just going to have to take your chances and just hope that you stay healthy the way that uh, some of the teams that go deep have been able to do the last couple of years. I think the best way to describe it is refreshing and just kind of seeing how this season went, the playoffs went, which, you know, you didn't have the number one seeds from either side make it all the way. Um, but you saw some really good basketball, no matter what the teams were. And I think that's the biggest thing. If you're a basketball fan is just seeing some good basketball and seeing some different teams, some different faces. I mean, especially with Giannis. And I think a lot of people saw the type of person he is, not just the player. I think there were some people that really didn't know too much about Giannis until, until this season. I think that's very good for the NBA to, to kind of, again, expand the superstars and not just the familiar faces that everyone is used to. I think now you're going to see a lot more Giannis jerseys, which there's always should have been in the beginning, but I, I think these are the kind of things that you get. Um, you know, you don't want injuries, but I feel like that's kind of the benefit of, of maybe those cases as you do see. I think people say the same thing about Devin Booker and how he has kind of emerged. You know, he was on the team with Phoenix that didn't make the playoffs until this year. And now everyone's talking about the type of player he is and how he's maybe gone to the next level as far as a superstar is concerned. So I think those are kind of the bright spots about these certain things happening. Yeah, listening to Giannis's interviews, I've been able to watch more and more over the last couple of days of some of the stuff that he said after that they won the championship on Tuesday night. It, it does give you, I mean, I feel like I know a lot about him. I, I mean, relatively speaking, we work in the NBA, so we have a decent feel for some of these guys. But even listening to some of his interviews and just his perspective has been really cool to, to hear where he's coming from on a, on a lot of different things. But I, I agree with you overall. I mean, you might, there might be casual fans out there that prefer the mode of we want to see teams in the NBA finals that we're extraordinarily familiar with. We need to make sure that LeBron's there. We need to make sure Steph Curry's there. And you even hear that sentiment a little bit from the, from certain parts of the media too, where they're like, Oh, we want, we want the, the superstar household familiar names to be there every year so that we'll watch. But I think for the people that are really into basketball, we much prefer this where you don't know what's going to happen and you get to get some exposure to some different franchises and even some different fan bases. I think it's been, been so cool to see Milwaukee have 80,000 people at the, at the site between the arena and then out outdoors. And then Phoenix's crowd was amazing too. I thought even from the first round on TV, you could tell, it was beyond what you're you're used to seeing seeing and hearing at some of these games. I mean, it went from Suns and four to Bucks and six, and uh, definitely a, a really fun NBA Finals from from us watching here in New Orleans is definitely fun to watch. And and now we turn the page uh, to a week from today with the NBA draft. So good stuff there. We're back for one more tomorrow. We're gonna have full coverage leading up to the draft, and also um, we will announce that we'll, there will be an NBA draft show on ESPN New Orleans. We touched on it yesterday, but ironing out the details. As Todd Graffanini and Gus Kanigan will be at Hooters on the West Bank that night. Coverage begins at 6 p.m. Jim Eikenhofer and I will be inside the Smoothie King Center studio and we'll have plenty of exclusive interviews. Hope to hear from our number 10 pick. Plenty of sound to be played. And we'll talk about also those four second round picks that the Pelicans have as well. But tomorrow we wrap up the week with Dante Marcatelli, sideline reporter for the Orlando Magic. They have two picks 
in the top 10. So while he's there, we'll talk to him about picks number five and eight. And I do want to ask him about, we talk about the domino effect and maybe the Rockets being that team, but maybe it's the Orlando Magic. If the consensus top four are in their picks one through four, what does Orlando do that maybe changes the direction of this year's draft? So we'll talk about that. And also we'll probably have some other news to talk about that if you're listening to this this morning, you won't know about until later this afternoon, but make sure you look out on pelicans.com and the Pelican mobile app. Big thanks again to Blake Murphy of The Athletic and for Jim Eikenhofer, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by CQ.